So yes, we're hardly finished digesting our turkey and we're into Advent. So, and as uh, just Don made a great reference that this is the first Sunday of the church year. The calendar of the church year is a teaching calendar and it ends with Christ the King, which we celebrated for the last couple of Sundays. Dylan, I'm not sure what I've got here, but it's not what I'm expecting. Uh, so I'm going to invite you to come over here and, and reset this for me. Because I'll do it, and then I'll have it totally messed up for the whole morning. Um, but the, what happens is, uh, you know, we, we begin with Advent, the season that, that looks forward uh, to the coming of Christ, both in, in remembrance of the longing of the first time of that, and you hear that so well expressed in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, that, that longing uh, for, for Christ to come to us. Uh, it's also looking forward to the second coming of Christ. So it's not simply what has happened in the past but looking forward to what is yet to come in the future. We move from Advent into the Christmas season, the Christ Mass, the birth of, uh, celebration of the birth of Christ. Ah, uh, thank you, sir. Give Dylan a hand. Yay, Dylan. Yay. Thank you. And, uh, and then from the Christ Mass, we move into the season of Epiph Epiphany, Epiphany, Epiphanos, uh, to shine light across something or to reveal something this season when Christ is revealed as the Messiah. Uh, that moves into Lent, that old English word lengthen, which means lengthen. It's the time of year when the days get longer because not all seasons have to have church, uh, you know, deep theological names. Uh, and so it's, uh, it's Lent, the season when it gets longer. It's actually the period of time when we are preparing for the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. Uh, that goes to Good Friday and then uh, Holy Saturday. It ends uh, uh, with the sunrise on Easter Sunday when we celebrate the resurrection. That continues for how many days? Let's see, it goes to Pentecost. How many days is that? I think it's a count of 50. Pentecost, the count of 50, uh, which is the coming of the Holy Spirit and oftentimes thought of as the birth of the church. And then that season gives way to what used to be called Kingdom Tide, and we finally, I think, just admitted it and then called it what it really is, which is called Ordinary Time. Uh, where we tell the stories of the church. So, so that, that goes to ordinary time. Ordinary time then you know, ends on Christ the King. So having told this whole story of expectation, birth, revelation, crucifixion, resurrection, the life of the church, we end the year declaring Christ as the King, and then we start the seasons all over again. Because when these were established, uh, you, know, you didn't have printed materials that you could give people. So the, the church year, the artwork of the church, all of that, were ways to teach and tell the story. And this morning as we come into uh, the Advent season, we're going to be uh, using another kind of teaching tool that was developed, which was called the Jesse Tree. And y'all all are familiar with the Jesse Tree, right? Uh, yes, yeah, Stella, Stella's the only one with her hand in the air. Okay, so, so y'all are all familiar with that tree, right? So y'all know how that got started? How, why do we drag trees into our house? Right, y'all? Okay, so, so let, let, let's have a little short history. Let's see. At one, one point, Northern Europe was kind of uh, de-Christianized, if you will, uh, by the, the Germanic tribes that came out of the north. And uh, so that period of time, uh, sometimes we talk about the, the Dark Ages, and really the Dark Ages were not dark. It's just that there wasn't a lot of history written in that period of time. But, but in that period of time, missionaries were sent into Northern Europe to re-evangelize Northern Europe. Now, the Irish will tell you that it was all about them, and, and they had a lot to do with it. But, but actually, one of those missionaries came from England. His name was Boniface. 
uh, and he went into northern Germany. And in Germany, in the northern regions especially, there was a lot of nature worship. Uh, and particularly, uh, one of the things that was uh, centered was worship of, of the spirits that lived in trees. And certain trees that were evergreen, and certain types of oaks and the, and the evergreen trees we think of, uh, which didn't drop their leaves, were considered to have powerful spirits of life because they never lost their leaves or their life during the winter. So St. Boniface, uh, in, in order to prove to the locals uh, that, that his God, our God, was greater than the gods of the spirits in the tree, he, he chopped down what was called Donar's oak or also called Odin's oak sometimes. Uh, and the full expectation was that in chopping down this tree, and this is in the 8th century, uh, and the full expectation was that when he did that, uh, the spirits of the trees would kill him. He would die. Obviously, that did not happen. Uh, not only did he not die, but he did just fine, made a really great fire out of the tree. Uh, and so, you know, uh, the people went, wow, his God really is more powerful than the gods of the trees. And people were converted to Christianity. They began to follow. And, and following in his footsteps, they had this kind of ritual that when they would come uh, to celebrate the birth of Christ, they would chop down uh, trees, and, and those trees would be signs that the life of Christ was greater than the life of the, the spirits that lives in the trees. Now that, that evolved over a period of times, and it became mainly evergreen trees because evergreen trees never lose their leaves pretty much in any climate. Uh, and they chose fir and spruce because they had this kind of triangular shape, if you haven't noticed that before, uh, which kind of aligned with the symbol, uh, the triangle symbol for the Holy Trinity. Uh, they pointed to heaven or appeared to be pointing to heaven. And they would put on top of that a star which would represent the star of Bethlehem or an angel who would usually be seen as a representative of the angel Gabriel because he's the one that made the announcement to Mary, right? Don't remember that, right? So, so, so this kind of took off and, and became this way. And then, then they began putting candles on it at some point to, you know, to light, uh, mirroring John's language, you know, the light has come, the darkness did not overcome it. They would use candles because, you know, they didn't have electric lights back then. So that's how they had to use candles. And so they did that. And then they started decorating with ornaments with different kind of religious symbols. And actually this tree, uh, which is going to get finished decorated in the next day or so, uh, we started on it last night. Uh, those chrismons or Christ monograms, which are on it, are Christian symbols. Uh, and, and the tradition of using those began actually in the 1950s. So, uh, you know, we have these uh, different traditions that kind of come together that help us tell the story and remind us of this story. And this morning we're going to start sharing with you uh, the story that is based on what is called the Jesse tree. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks that you tell us over and over again the story that binds us together, that holds us together that defines who we are and reminds us whose we are. So come be present with us. Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of all our hearts, be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Now having talked about that tree, there's another kind of tree that most of us are familiar with. We call it our family tree, right? You know, all the different kinds of things that, you know, people who are connected to us in all kinds of different ways. And if you've actually done research on your family tree, uh, you oftentimes find interesting things in there, yes? 
Uh, so, you know, in our family tree, part of our family tree are the early settlers of Williamsburg, Virginia. Uh, part of them are some of the Native Americans in a very small slice. Uh, some of our family tree were in the Union and some of them were in the Confederacy. Uh, some of our family tree were heroes. Some of them were hung for desertion. So, you know, if you start digging in your family tree, you find all kinds of interesting threads to come together. And yet those people in some way all feed into the fabric that becomes uh, who we are. Both Matthew and Luke give us a genealogy of Jesus to kind of give us that side of the family tree. You know, they don't, they don't spend so much time trying to define the divine part. That's a little more challenging. But they give us the, the human side, the fully human side of it. Matthew uh, comes forward with the genealogy. Luke goes back with the genealogy. So uh, we're going to begin uh, with Matthew's genealogy. Of uh, the birth of, of Jesus Christ, uh, trace through this. Um, now, now the challenge was thrown down to me whether I was going to pronounce all these names. We'll see how we do. Uh, we 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 tried last night. And I think I got most of them right. But uh, if if you can do better than me, you're welcome to do this. Uh, this so this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of David, the Son of Abraham. Starts with Abraham, right? Because Abraham's the first patriarch, right? Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Amenadab, Amenadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, we don't want to say much about that, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. Oh, wait, we're not done. <laughs> David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa, so the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amon. Amon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. Wait, there's another one. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud. Uh, Abihud, Abihud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Akim. Akim, the father of Elihud. Elihud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Mathan. Mathan, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Now, in all that pronunciation, what you probably missed was this really important piece about all this genealogy, too, that Matthew wants you to understand. There were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. You see the symmetry of it. Matthew wants you to understand that Jesus arrives in all the fullness of God's time. It's not a random event. It happens in a specific time. There's 14 generations, 14 generations, 14 generations. There's the number three, that, that trinity again, the wholeness. In all the fullness of time, in all the fullness of time, 
Christ arrives. And, and, and in these people and all that genealogy, there's little bits of God being sown into the world that will be part of the fabric that gets woven together to be the fully human side of Jesus Christ. Now, Isaiah is going gonna, is gonna to kind of pick that theme up a little bit when he, reads, when he writes to the people of Israel during the time of the exile, and he reminds them that a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, from the roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. This, this reminder that, that even when things look harsh, even things look harsh, um, God is still at work. That story that Isaiah talks about finds its way into the song that Don sang with us earlier, right? That verse, come now root of Jesse's tree, an ensign or a banner, a symbol of thy people be before thee rulers silent fall and all peoples on thy mercy call. And then that word of celebration, rejoice Emmanuel, uh, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. That's kind of a reminder that Isaiah has spoken to his people. So Isaiah speaks that word to the people Israel in the midst of the exile when they're in despair and when they think that, that this royal lineage that comes down from Jesse has been sawed off at the ground and is nothing but a stump. He speaks this word of hope. No, it's not dead yet. The shoot's going to come forth. And you know, we sometimes... Forget the amazing kind of things that God shows us all the time in terms of resurrection and life. Well, years ago in a Corpus, we had a couple of uh, volunteer pecan trees that came up in our front yard. For those of you who are unaware, when, when you say it's a volunteer tree, it just means you didn't plant it there. It decided that's where it was going to be planted. And, uh, and, and so we decided to nurture those because the trees in the yard were uh, get, getting to be of an age where we knew they weren't going to last that much longer. And we decided to nurture those. And, and our daughter was particularly thrilled with these young trees because they were baby trees. And she was three years old. And this was really cool. So she would go out and, and water the trees and kind of take care of them and make sure they were doing okay. And then the first cold front blew through Corpus, which is kind of a misnomer. The first cool, wet, nasty front blew through Corpus, and they dropped their leaves. And, and we came home from school one day after I picked her up, and she was just devastated. She was so upset. And she says, Dad, what, what happened to the baby trees? And I said, well, what do you mean, honey? She says, well, they're not there anymore. And I said, well, yeah, they are. And I took her out to the front and showed her where the baby tree was that had lost its leaves. And, and she goes, now, you got it, three years old. She's already got the eye roll going down, right? Three years old, rolls her eyes, give me that look like you are so dumb. No, Dad, that's just an old stick. That's not the baby tree. And I tried to explain to her that it was going to be the baby tree again, but obviously, you know, I just wasn't really sharp enough to understand what was going on there. Uh, but, but spring came around, and it leafed back out. And she was so excited. Look, look. The dead sticks have turned into the baby trees. And, and I really kind of wanted to say, well, you know, I told you that, right? I mean, because, because you know, we adults, you know, we get really complacent about this stuff, don't we? We just kind of take it for granted. And I needed to kind of step back and see it through her eyes. 
and understand the, the wonder of this thing that God does all the time around us, and yet it's still so amazing. Even when we think it's all dead and over with, God brings life from it. God brings life, right? Even when we think it's all done and the kingdom's collapsed and the, the temple's down and we've been scattered out into exile. From, from the root of Jesse, from that sawed-off stump, Isaiah reminds us that God's going to bring forth a new shoot of life. A new shoot of life. And, and, and in that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the people, an ensign, uh, as the writer of the psalm would say. The nations will rally to him. His resting place will be glorious. This promise that, that, yeah, I know it looks dead, but it's not. That comes to remind us in the midst of the winter, when the days are the shortest and the darkest and the coldest, that in God's reality, there's always a spring just around the corner. A new life is going to happen. So in that, in that word of hope, you go back into the time when, when, when David is chosen to become the next king of Israel. And God has spoken to Samuel and, and send him, sends him to Bethlehem to anoint the next king. And uh, so there's a story out of 1 Samuel where this takes place. And Samuel did what the Lord said. The Lord had sent him. And when he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. Because remember, he, he kind of represents Saul in some, some degree, the kingdom. And, and they're concerned about this. And so they asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. And then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. This is the oldest of the brothers, the biggest, the strongest of Jesse's sons. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse then has his sons brought before Samuel, had seven of his sons pass before him. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. And so he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. And even in, in raising up this horn, we're, we're taken back to that time when, when, when God raised up King David, who was not the one that Jesse thought would be the next king. He thought it would be one of the older, bigger, strapping brothers, but it wasn't. It's was not the one that Samuel thought would be the next king, but it was the one that God knew would be the next king. Because he knew David's heart. He knew David's heart. And he knew David would seek after God's heart. 
And so he raises up the king that most of the people considered to be the greatest king of Israel from the youngest son of Jesse. And the amazing thing is, if you actually read through the story, Jesse fully supports that. Samuel fully supports that. They go where God takes them. And they trust that even though it's not what they expected, they trust that God has something so much better in mind than what we would have chosen. So here we are in the midst of the winter, once again preparing for Advent. And the story comes and, and reminds us that back there in the tree, in the tree, is this story about Jesse and David. You know, the, the psalmist, the, the, the writer wrote that, that words of, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Those come uh, around the 9th century. St. Boniface cut the tree down in the 8th century. Those words are written around the 9th century. About the 11th century, icons begin to be created, capturing this family tree of Jesus. This is one from the Sinai church, created in the 11th century. Trying to help us understand that, that, that all of this is, is part of God's working in the midst of us. From 14 generations to 14 generations to 14 generations. To remind us, to remind us of this great hope that God has to give to us. That even, even when it looks dark, and even when it looks like things are going downhill and Maybe your faith feels cut off and dried up and maybe the world looks, seems to be falling apart and it's become dark and it's become cold and you're beginning to think that all hope is lost and the legacy of God has been destroyed. God reminds us, a shoot will come up. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The Spirit of counsel and of might. The Spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. There's a word of hope that drops into even the darkest of the moments. That God is still raising up new life. So my friends, as you come in the holidays, where do you look for hope? Where do you look for it? And where will you find it? Let's pray. Mighty Father, we confess to you as we come into this time of year that we love the trappings of the seasons. Uh, we love the decorations. We love the lights. We love the music. Uh, we love being with friends. We love the, the coming together and the, and the celebratory atmosphere of the season. And yet all of that is fleeting. And here in a few weeks we'll be plunged back into the middle of winter. And it will feel once again like we simply have a, a, a sawed off stump in front of us. So remind us that it is you that, that continues to draw life forward. That from that stump a shoot will come forth. And it will not happen in the ways we expect and not necessarily through the people whom we expect. But you are still the one. You are still the one 
bringing new life from death. You are still the one bringing light from darkness. You are still the one bringing hope from despair. And you raise it up in the midst of us in the birth of Christ. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, my brothers and